0: Hey, welcome, Carm Capriotti here. Now, one of the first Business Coaches roundtables that I ever moderated was episode 208. Now, think about it. This is episode 531. That's some time ago. And it was at Vision 2017. Yeah, episode 208. Now, this episode was recorded at Vision 2020 that was pre-COVID, and we relived that first panel discussion. Hey, did I ever tell you how much I love putting panels together? Now, during these unprecedented times, this episode will help quench
1: your thirst for some great advice from some of the industry's brightest. In the future, it's just not technicians are going to be buying businesses business people are going to be buying businesses and they are going to look at your numbers and your processes of how you make money because they're not going to buy a business to buy themselves a job right that's right i mean
2: it's about being
1: investable
2: if this business is not investable then it's not going to sell
0: welcome aftermarketers, to remarkable results radio Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hi, friends. It's Carm Capriato here, the Aftermarket Podcast Guy. You know, I'm creating this content to make sure that every shop owner within our industry learns the fundamentals of running their own shop, as highlighted in the discussions with our esteemed coaches and aftermarket leaders. Learning means all ships rise, and you increase your business and market advantage. Hey, Remarkable Results Radio has been proud to partner with Napa Auto Care. Now, I hope by now you've heard that Napa Expo has officially been rescheduled. During February 1st through the 4th, 2021, Las Vegas is going to be painted blue and gold as Team NAPA puts on the fabulous event that was planned prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, NAPA wants to thank everyone for understanding the event postponement and sends well wishes to you and your families. Now, rest assured, Team NAPA is as energized and invested as ever in NAPA Expo, and we look forward to hosting you in February 2021. Hey, don't forget that all episodes we've done regarding aftermarket conditions and survival in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic are listed and collected in one place on the homepage and will be there until we are beyond these unprecedented times. Remarkable that's the homepage. Now, there are podcasts, town hall academies, Carmcasts that are dealing with so many critical topics that will help you navigate your ship during these unprecedented times. Okay, now hear from these full-time aftermarket coaches, Malin Newton, Barry Barrett, Bill Haas, and Bob Greenwood. They've got important insights on succession planning, right person, right seat, the math of efficiency, and the fact that every shop is understaffed by at least three people. Now those topics just get you started. Find our coach's bio and this episode's talking points at RemarkableResults.biz slash E531. This episode serves as another stepping stone on your path to remarkable results. A warm welcome here to four outstanding automotive aftermarket coaches that you've heard here on the podcast before. And it was like, uh, what do they call herding what cats in order to actually pull this thing together. You have no idea the logistics that went through to get Malin Newton, Barry Barrett, Bill Haas, and Bob Greenwood here all in the studio at Vision 2020. And it was three years ago, Barry reminded me that it was one of my first ever coaching group panel discussions in this room three years ago, almost to the day that Barry, Bill, and Bob sat down. and. Uh, 200 and some, I can't remember the number of it. I'll look it up maybe before we end, or I'll put it in the show notes. It is really a marvelous, it's a fascinating interview, and I think you need to go out and listen to it if you want to hear what the coaches say. And, and so, frankly, here we are three years in uh, to, to that anniversary. We invited Malin to join us. Uh, lots going on in our industry. Uh, lots of, uh, I can't tell you you know everything that we talk about on the show from the technology perspective, but guys coaching is growing. It's getting big. The awareness is there. You guys are helping people run better businesses. Thank God you're here and that the industry has responded. So open forum, guys. I Before we even turned on the mic, we were rolling on the floor laughing because these guys respect each other. They get along. We know how to laugh and have fun. And uh, hopefully we can repeat some of that fun stuff here today. So let's let's
3: give our listener their
0: money's worth. Three
3: years ago was the day I realized how little I knew when I sat here with Bob and and, uh, Mr. Haas. Well, (laughs) it is humbling because they have been around a bit. But we're going to cut the Mr. Haas
0: stuff, right? (laughs) We're just going to call him Grandpa. (laughs)
4: uh, That's better.
0: grandpa bill and in your grandpa sense then right bob i'm a grandpa too yeah Yeah. good for you malin you got any no grandkids yet okay all right i have one Ann just sent me pictures she's babysitting this morning and it's just so good to look back and see that well it's pretty cool
2: the grandpa thing we uh we have the oldest our 24 year old will be married this july and then in may the new one will be born so we have them from 24 to newborn so we have a we have a crew wow good for you do you guys feel like grandpa's Probably more that I look like a grandpa than I feel like yeah, a grandpa. Okay. All right. Because you guys are, you
0: guys have been, and, and I'm not saying, let me use the word seasoned instead of saying you've been around a long time and you're wise, your, your wisdom is there. You're, you you've helped so many people. There isn't a bad word in the industry for anyone in this room that you've been able to help people.
4: No, I agree. And here's the thing, unless you go out and do the job and get experience, you really don't know what you're doing. And so all of our experiences we share, if people listen, and it kind of shortens the learning curve a little bit. But just like teaching your kids, a lot of people go, oh, no, that won't work for me. It's different here. And it's really not. It's you got to try some different things.
0: I love you know, what he just said, shorten the learning curve because of the experiences that you have for people. But one of the things I hear a lot is that... It, It's been a great show so far. We're only in our second day and people that I've never met before that listen, I always encourage, come up, say hello, tell me, tell me about you. If you, if you listen, what you like about the show. And I never fail to ask them if they have a coach, you're here, you're, you're smart. Who helped you get that smart? And they said, I hired a coach. How's it going? I didn't care who it was, but how's it going? What did you learn? What didn't you learn? He says, what I learned in the first year, I never took, I, I never did it. I never implemented, and I'm so pissed because I could be further along. My coach said to do this, I said no.
1: How, much, how often does that happen? It happens when, uh, especially I find, when people don't have self-confidence to implement. Then they question and they, they get concerned, but then a good coach always works on the confidence level of the client, and once they get the confidence and they get focused and they get the discipline in place, they achieve a lot, but it's a journey. And uh, you have to recognize the confidence level of the client to start with.
3: I am a grandkid, so I can relate to you guys. (laughs) Ouch. Um, No, what I was was saying a while ago about sitting in the room with with Bill and, and, and Bob three years ago is I was not being disingenuous. Like, I was completely genuine about that. You know, you listen to guys like this who, you know, I call them long in the tooth. They don't mind. I have experience in certain situations but experience is the name we give to our mistakes, and I really have went from I know I'm right to how do I know I'm right? And listening to people that are more experienced than you, whether they're older or not, I don't think it has a huge difference. But it's hard to get experience without some age. Um, and I'm, I turned forty four this year in a couple months, and I'm starting to get where I have getting more of that experience. But the number one thing that has changed in my life over the last five years is listening to people who have already made the mistakes and asking them, you know, what's your advice? Because the number one compliment you can give another human being is, can I get your opinion?
2: The whole experience thing really is, even with what we do today, we're still gaining experience. Yeah. There, It's not like, Now we have all this knowledge, and we've had all these experiences, so we're going to go out and share with everybody that knowledge and experience, and they're going to get better because of that. We're still getting experiences every day with the people that we're dealing with and our life experiences, and we continue to build that into our programs and make that part of our
1: coaching. Continuous learning curve. Continuous.
0: So you guys never quit learning and finding new ways to present
4: and to coach and to teach? You can't. You have to follow the industry. It's funny because right now on my phone I have probably 15 or 20 books that I purchase that I'm carrying with me, waiting for the opportunity to listen to them. And that's a pretty consistent number for me. So I spend an extra hour in an airport or on an airplane. I'll listen to a book and it generates an idea or a thought process. But two things that I tell clients all the time, I said, you're living the definition of insanity. You're doing the same thing over and over expecting different results. My job is for you to change that and do different things and get different results And the other thing I tell them all the time is, I'm water over granite. I'm going to wear you out. You got to just keep after them, slow and steady pressure until you wear them out. And then they finally go, I should have done this years ago. Uh Uh-huh. Why don't you listen to me? And after they start making changes, it goes back to confidence. When they make a change, they're more likely to make the next change because they see it does work or it doesn't give them the ramifications they expect. We've all told somebody to fire somebody and they, I can't do that. This person's valuable to me. And then they fire him. They go, why didn't I do that earlier? Their employees are happier.
1: And fear is probably one of the biggest things. They're afraid to try something new and different. And the thing is, too, is when you're getting rid of people out of your company, you know, good people leave a company because bad people stay. Absolutely.
3: We do a concept called RPRS, right people, right seat, right people, share your core values, fit your culture like a glove. You hire, fire, reward and recognize around them and then right seat is they get it, want it, and have the capacity to do it. G, the get it is the get it is the natural ability. You were born to do this. Some people were born to be technicians and some people were born to be salespeople, right? They just they just get it. The want it is this insatiable desire to succeed. I wanna, I, man, I can't wait till Monday, right? Oh my God, it's Friday. I, the weekend's here and I don't get to serve people. The capacity is, t- is time, training, and tools, right? So the GWC last year, I was working with a client, and I, we kept saying, "Hey, you got the wrong person, wrong seat, two of them." And so they let they finally, after a year of saying this is the wrong person, wrong seat, they let them go, and payroll was r- drastically reduced, and actually production went up because of that that deal right there. So they lost seventy five thousand dollars of profit because of these two. Wrong people, wrong seat. We hear that all the time in our business. We, we lost a tech.
0: Woe was us? Not sure when that's ever going to be replaced. And the team steps up and you're so surprised how you could do more with less. Not that it's healthy for the business not to replace that person, but that people, you know, they, they want to serve. They, they, they want to do those things. And then you
3: ultimately find out that there was a wrong person in the wrong seat. Right, Barry? Yeah. There's a book and it's called How to Be a Great Boss. You hire five people, pay them like they're eight, work them like they're ten. You know, Bob, give me an example of someone that you've worked with that, that was wrong person, wrong seat. Or maybe they're just wrong person, right seat. Like they, they shared core values. They didn't share your core values,
1: but they could do the job. The real issue is, is that you said that word job. And I find that the teams that are in place have a career, not a job. The right teams are looking at the business, they want to be part of it, they believe in the business. They don't buy into the business, they believe in the business. And there's a difference there. Yeah. When you believe in it, you want to be part of it, you want to participate in it. If I'm buying a job to, to have income, I'm not participating, I have no desire, it's a job, I go home Friday, oh I have to come back to work on Monday. When they have a career, they want to be there on Monday. Well, and you said a very important term is, I
4: have to go to work. You know, I feel very blessed because I get to go to work. Yeah. You know, I, I love what I do. And that's pretty rare nowadays to find people that really enjoy what they do. And a lot of times the wrong person isn't a skill level. It's an attitude level. Exactly. And we don't tell them what we expect of them. I call it the philosophy of auto repair, how I want cars fixed, how I want customers taken care of. So how can they ever meet my
1: expectations if I don't share them with them? You know, I, ch- I challenge every client I've ever worked with. Have you found your passion? When you have a passion for what you do, you just enjoy every day. It's not work. It's not work at all. I mean, everybody's starting to ask me, when are you retiring? I said, retire from what? I've heard it all my life. People who want to retire don't enjoy what they do.
2: And it's a shame.
1: It's a shame. I I think the other thing that
2: Malin brought up is really important, too, and, and we can't lose sight of this. Right people, right seat. But they have to know what's expected of them. They have to know what this job is and how I'm expected to perform, and they have to be held to a standard, and that's missing in a lot of businesses. We hire people and bring people in and say, well, we got some cars to fix, let's go fix cars, and it's like, okay, but where's all the systems and the processes and the resources and what's the level of accountability? That's got to be fixed first before I start dealing with the talent pool.
1: Well, look at the shops that close and bring their entire team to vision. I mean, they're not only networking, they're listening, they're participating uh, and the bond that they have by joining in together. Let me, let me, let me please back that up.
0: I have on purpose. Hi, I am nice to meet you. Why are you here? Did you pay your way? Do you own? Are you a tech? It has been so surprising to me this year, how many people have closed. To bring their whole entire team, maybe back offices in here. Four years ago, you hardly heard it, and today you're hearing that. I am so excited to hear that this is becoming almost standard. Now it's we're not at eighty percent, we're not at fifty percent, but it's growing, and the commitment is there. And do you find it worth it? Did you lose revenue? Yes. Will you make it up? Absolutely. I mean, for
4: all the right reasons, all the reasons that people don't want to come, people tell you the reasons that it doesn't matter. Well, and I don't think you could ever lose revenue. First of all, you tell your team they're important and you reward them for their efforts. The second, they come back more educated, which means they can do their job better, faster, smoother. And they're going to meet people. And it's really funny because they realize they're not the lone ranger. There's worse places to work. They get a bigger perspective. And I think one of our problems in our industry is some of these people spend their entire lives, their entire career lives, in one little town, in one shop, and they don't really understand the good things that they have. They know all the bad things. They don't understand the good things. So, you know, my dad used to have a saying, and when I grew up, I hated this saying because it made no sense to me. And as I've gotten more experienced, it makes a lot more sense to me. He used to tell me, boy... You're stepping over dollars to pick up dimes. And it just didn't make sense. But, you know, that's where a lot of shops are. They go, I can't afford to close. But they lose the education. And not just the technical side, but in everything else. The management side, the personnel side. And they go back and they continue to do things the way they used to. And it costs them money. And you, you can't look at coming to a, a show like Vision as a cost. It's an investment.
3: Right.
4: It's like any other training. You look at it and go, how do I re... The benefit, and I have a lot of clients that will send three technicians to three different classes. But when they come back to the shop, they has have to do a synopsis of the class they went to the, everybody else in the shop. Perfect. So they're they're maximizing their exposure and their dollar spent. Yeah, they're sharing. They're going yes. back
0: and they're sharing what each each learned individually. Hi, Carm here, and I want to talk to you about the Napa Auto Care Center program for health insurance. We've all heard the reports about the rising cost of health insurance, but you'll be happy to know. I'm here with really good news. The Napa Insurance Center is now offering the Napa National Health Program, and it's saving Napa Auto Care Centers and their employees money, lots of money. In fact, in the first 90 days following the launch of the program, Napa stores and auto care centers and their employees saved over $2.7 million. That's all thanks to the Napa Insurance Center's partnership with United Healthcare. It gives auto care centers access to the national large group rates on medical insurance with premiums discounted, up to 30%. Now, these rates are based on the collective purchasing potential of 22,500 Napa locations, including both Napa Auto Part Stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. And listen to this the news just keeps getting better. You can choose from four excellent United Healthcare medical plans with varying levels of coverage and deductibles to meet a range of needs. All plans are PPOs, preferred provider organizations with comprehensive coverage. Because of the Napa Insurance Center's partnership with Aflac, you can have access to supplemental insurance benefits, including disability, accident, hospital, and more, all at a Napa-only discount, up to 35%. The Napa Benefits Center can help you with other group benefits, too, including group life insurance, retirement, HSAs, and more. NAPA's National Health Benefit Program is just one of the many reasons to become part of the NAPA Auto Care family, the largest network of independent automotive repair shops in the country. Talk to your servicing NAPA store. For more detailed information about the NAPA National Health Program, visit the NAPA Benefits Center at www.napabenefitscenter.com or call the NAPA Benefits Center at 844-627-2123.
3: One of the things that I say to people is math, not magic, right? It's, it's, it's one of my favorite things because it is math, not magic. You know, we've all had clients which they used to sell $200 as a ticket, and then you train them, they're selling $600 a ticket. We all have technicians that can turn two for one, right? They, they're so fast, they can do two for one. Well, what if we had a 20% increase in, you know, that efficiency, that productivity, those, those types of things? You know, if you come to to a class and you, and you learn just one thing that increases your your efficiency by 20%. It doesn't take a math genius. You know, I'm from Kentucky. You know, we don't score so high there. But it doesn't take <laughs> they, they, they never taught math Until like last year Right 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 And so, you Is get, that why your shoes are off? Yeah. That, well What shoes? What are those? <laughs> By the way No disrespect to all my friends In Kentucky I'm shoes. from Kentucky We can talk about it oh, yeah. all right. The
2: best
0: <laughs>
3: bourbon in the world Your which oh. We don't have shoes That's why <laughs> hey, Will you take me on the bourbon trail If I come down? I would love to do that But you have to make it, me a deal You have to either come In three week, The first three weeks of April Yeah Or the first three weeks of October So we can go to Keeneland the okay. horse track, and then we'll do the bourbon trail. Right. Then we'll do the horse track, and then I'll take you to Kentucky football game, and you will be like, Kentucky's the place to live. Should we all go? What do you think? Wouldn't that be awesome? Heck Heck yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, we're we're going to have the NACAC conference. I think everybody knows I'm real involved in NACAC. Yes, our NACAC are. conference is going to be in Covington, Kentucky. One of our, one of our fun events is, that we're considering has got something to do with a bourbon trail
3: that oh, I've yeah. heard of. That may just get me there this year. (laughs) So just, I'm going to tell you, there's not just one bourbon trail. There's multiple. And my the brown eyed girl, which everybody knows, my wife Nancy, I call her the brown eyed girl. Yes, you do. She's from Covington, Kentucky. Damn! Damn. Wow,
2: how cool is that? Uh, Now uh, back to
3: Vision. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So here's here's the thing. When when we have this discussion about all the people that come to Vision, and people closing their shops, and they're bringing their techs and they're bringing their advisors, and the owners are in class, and Here's the question that I have. I wanna know how the people that are not here think they're gonna compete with these shops. That's gonna be tough to do. When you take your entire team to an event like Vision and the techs come back with a higher level of knowledge and the advisors come back and they're gonna provide exceptional customer service and the owners are gonna be working on the culture and environment that they provide for their team,
1: how are the people that miss this event gonna compete with that? That's a huge question. And you know what? I think the guys that don't come to this fall behind so fast. Yeah. And we all know this industry is moving at lightning speed now. And if We've we had-
0: been saying that for years, and that was a challenge that I had last night. Someone said, it's not going to be too long where, you know, there's going to be some big fallout on the bottom. And I said, we've been saying that for 50 years. That, but do, you, do you really think the need for... Super tech diagnosticians, smart and
3: really good operators, process systems, people, great marketers is going to really flush it out. So let's put the numbers behind it. If you take from year zero of the world all the way up to 2003, take all the information that was accumulated from year zero to 2003, every year from, then, from 2003 on, the information doubles every single day. Yeah. So yeah, like Nostradamus it took him a while to to for his visions to come into fruition, but they eventually did, right? And so it could be 50 years, but man, that's an inch worth of time. It's going to happen. I have this this saying this like, within 10 years, half of independent automotive repair shops are going to be out of business because they don't have the money to pay for diagnostic tools and, and technicians that can do the diagnostics because they don't charge for diagnostics. So it's, it's it like this goes, it goes back to math, not magic. You can't give away diagnostics and still pay for everything. Okay. How many years did you say? Ten years. Ten, within ten years. Ten years. Half will be out of business because they
4: don't have the money. Or they won't necessarily be out of business. They'll just be screwing the cars up, trying to fix them. Hmm. And that ruins the industry reputation. Yeah, absolutely to me, does. That's that terrifying to me because they're always going to be out there thinking they could fix cars, right? And they're damaging the reputation of everybody else.
1: I'm and shocked at how many shops don't even reflash. It, it just that scares me. Yeah.
4: Well, I'm shocked at the number of them don't read.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> you know the technology is out there, and they're looking at it incorrectly. You know, unfortunately, they're always going to be you know, as I refer to it, the lower end shops that are going
1: to fix the mechanical things. They're not going to be able to fix the electrical things. But you see the common denominator in age of those shops. Yes. The owner's over 50. Yeah. So he knows it all and, and uh, he just does it his way.
4: And, but see, that also presents us with a whole nother problem is the average age is like 52 and a half years old. Yep. Who's going to take these shops over?
3: Well, I'll, I'll step in as being the young buck. And look, I, I was having a debate with this 19-year-old kid last week, and, and he called me an old head, which I I love. It's my favorite nickname I've been called so far. Old head. Yeah, and he said, I, I I was an old head who wouldn't change. And I said, well, you're going to college. And I get it. And I said, I make money with a, a cell phone and a laptop. That's all I have, cell phone, laptop. That's how I make money. And I go, you're currently attending one of the oldest systems and out most outdated systems that I've ever seen. And I'm the one that's not going to change mm. 50 today is not 50, 30 years ago, 30 years ago. If you were 50 in America, you had just ran your body through like this crazy, you know, life of, of hard work physically yeah. today. Cars are computers, guys, 50 anymore. Like we're just coming out of the out of the age where where technicians are beat up at fifty. Fifty now is super young. Like I'm forty three and I feel like I'm twenty five because yeah. I, I I eat healthy and stay fit. And 60 the new 40. Yeah. And so L- Eric Hoffer, he has a quote and I'll, and I'll stop right here. But he says, the learners will inherit the earth where the learned will find themselves beautifully equipped for a world that no longer exists. We have to be learners and practitioners every day. College is teaching people what to think, not how to think. Vision is teaching people how to think in an updated world. I got to jump in and I
0: got to tell you how I think about college today. You know, my two kids went through bachelor's program. Matt went on to get his master's. And what I realized that when they were done with bachelor four years of college, they learned what I learned when I got out of high school. And that just I paid that much more money to have them get up to what I thought was the speed when I graduated high school, and that fries me. That and I, and I don't want to get on the education system, but I think they got one hell of a thing going on, don't they?
2: Well, I'm going to get on the education system because last week I had a really incredible opportunity. Uh, my son Andy is a math teacher at Early College High School. And so he called me up and said dad would you would you volunteer some time to come in and do interviews and i said what are we interviewing and he said well we have to interview the applicants for our early college high school program said who are we talking to he said eighth graders and a few ninth graders and i'm like well this ought to be quite the experience cool yeah what they have in tyler isd is they have early college high school and as an eighth grader or a ninth grader you can apply to get into this program and the application is you have to pass a test you have to go through some interviews you know several things that are part of this so they don't want the teachers doing the interviews, so they bring community volunteers in to do the interviews I was so impressed with what I saw in these eighth graders that, you know, were just on target knowing what they want, what they expect out of life. And I'm like, you know, that that really gave me some hope. I mean, because the stuff that you tend to see and hear is about, you know, all the bad stuff, the stories of people not being successful or having trouble. This program they do is pretty incredible because what you do in early college, high school, so last year they graduated 88 students out of their program, 82 of the 88 left high school with an associate's degree that cost them $0 and put them on the path going into college to kind of accelerate this whole thing. Okay. And it's like, there are really some pretty great opportunities. So I just want to highlight something
4: positive
2: that I see in education because it's not all positive. Those
4: stories exist. Glad to hear it from you. Well, I went and spoke to a group of sixth graders, and I was kind of apprehensive. You know, what was I going to be able to partake of their knowledge, but also give them? And I walked away with a renewed sense of greatness coming. These kids are sharp. They ask great questions. They listen. I mean, when you get a bunch of sixth graders that sit there and stare at you for an hour and a half while you talk and are quiet and don't play on their phones or anything, Mm. They're interested. Did you yeah. tell them that
0: they're they're going to work? They could work in the computer field on the autom- in the automotive. Yeah. yeah. Let yeah. me
3: let me tell you. I've got a 15 year old boy and 11 year old girl, and you know my 11 year old she's that age, the sixth grade age, right? And she's wittier and smarter than I am. Like she comes back at stuff. I'm, I f- I feel like I'm a pretty witty guy. She's sharp, and you know my son 15 constantly impresses me with his knowledge and how he challenges look you know we give these kids a hard time but let me tell you something they are smarter faster leaner than we ever thought about being because they have this thing called youtube and these this access to the world that we never even dreamed of and man i'm i'm hopeful to bill i'm glad bill brought that up because i i'm one of those guys that go down that that road but they are smart but they do need to be guided not told what to do but guided by, by us. I had this
0: wild idea about four or five minutes ago and we were talking about the age of, of, of our owner and, and how we're graying, our industry is graying out. What a perfect panel here to ask this question or to challenge your advice. Young startups, think of that, young startups. If, if succession plans could exist inside the businesses today where an owner could identify his lead tech or his service advisor, and he sees promise in them, or a tech wants to leave and start on his own, the wisdom in this room, let's set up what a pathway could be, what what would have to happen. First, the first thing I would think about is if anyone held paper or found an internal candidate, even family, that they would want to put that person in a coaching program.
3: I'll take this because I'm a little bit different, I think, And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but we will. I 100% Malin. That's why I I just met Malin just a while ago, and I love the guy. And so here's the thing: I work with leadership teams. I don't work with business owners one on one. I think I'm. Yeah, that's what's different about his. You know, since he left, you know, and and he's doing EOS. Yeah, he he works with the teams. Yeah, I don't. I work with leadership teams. So if, if someone works with shop owners or business owners, like I, I don't do that. I, I will I will I have, have actually this week have actually introduced people to coaches who work with the, sh- the, the the business owner. Okay. I work with leadership teams. Since I've been doing that, I, I, I see the secession just playing out because when you give people responsibilities and you trust them. I've never had anybody once say, well, since I'm on the leadership team, uh, I want more money. Not one time. They just want responsibility. They want the praise. They're, they're getting paid well already. However, when you give them responsibilities, they take the reign and they run with it. Yeah, they they want to
2: feel like they're making positive contributions. And it's not about the money. It's not about the title. It's about feeling good about what i do and people respecting me for what
1: i bring to the party that's huge and everybody talks about the millennial generation and the millennial generation gets it and the older generation doesn't and they say what do these millennials want well quite frankly they want an employer who knows what the heck he's doing a millennial wants to participate wants to be involved Uh, a millennial does not want to just do duties that you dictate to me my opinion counts and i want to be in a business where i can contribute And they believe that.
0: So so, so here we are, my challenge about the young startup, and the the business owner hasn't done what he needed to do, never hired a coach, and he's kind of floundering. He thinks he can get a million dollars for what he doesn't really have, and he looks for an internal candidate. You know, I'm I'm just thinking as as a coach, would you market to those guys saying, you listen, if you found an internal candidate, bring him into our coaching program because and here's here's what I'm saying. I don't want that business to continue along the way it has. And it doesn't help our industry
2: in so many ways. How could we? Well, the owner shouldn't want it to continue like that either because the owner wants to make sure he's going to get paid. Well, it, yes, if, if he holds any paper. And that's typically why they go out and seek a coach. Right. Typically what we hear is, uh, oh, I'm selling and I want him to have a coach because I want to make sure I get my money. Uh, he didn't want a coach, but he wants his successor to have a Bingo. coach. Bingo. And that's, well, that, there's a big disconnect,
3: right? And that's great to hear. So I I think that just sitting at this table in this round table we all have people who have different skill sets and so you know uh, I think when I think of Bob Greenwood I think oh what a numbers guy right uh, for myself I'm you know people know this about me I'm a sales guy if you want to increase your average sale like I'm your guy if you want numbers like I would I, I'll be honest with you I say well Bob Greenwood will blow me out of the water on that so if you really need You know, to tighten up your numbers. I just, we as coaches need to be open and honest about what our strengths are too. And so, to coach a team, this is what I love. There's people who get want and have the capacity to do each seat. Right? There's a marketing and sales seat. There's a operation seat, and there's a finance seat. If you want a true succession plan, build a leadership team with all three of that that have those three firm strengths, and that way you will be able to sell it to an internal employee. There's one shop owner here I think of right off the top of the head. I won't say who they They They, they sold their shop to an internal employee, and it works for both parties because there was a system in place already. Right, right. They weren't buying a JOB, which stands for just over broke. They were buying a business that they didn't have to work in, they could work on already. I don't know the numbers, but I'm sure that, that he got top do- dollar, and that employee is not upset about it.
4: Well, and I think something else that we got to teach people. Is it's not about fixing the cars. That's what we do. It's about the management team. It's how you treat people. It's simple things like please and thank you. That's what these young kids want is they want respect. And, you know, most of us older people like Barry, they, they do it or I'll kill you. Right. <laughs> so we, we have to understand that we got to change our management style and we have to get them out of thinking if I fix cars, I'll make money. That's not true anymore. When you could rebuild a Turbo four hundred for a hundred bucks and sell it for three hundred or four hundred dollars, yes. But now you can't. Comebacks are too expensive. You gotta have the right people, the right training, the right tools and equipment. So you gotta understand the numbers, you gotta understand the sales, you gotta understand how to manage people. This is a big package that you have to put together. And most shop owners have never done that, but they wanna sell it to somebody and not teach that person. I think the the biggest failure we have when we try to sell a business is we don't get that person involved in the business side of it
1: early enough. Exactly. And that's why they should be coming to management classes with the owner.
3: I'm a Gen Xer, and I don't know if most people know this, but there's a baby boom generation and the millennials, and they are the two largest generations of people ever to live. Millennials are bigger than the boomers. We Xers get sandwiched in the middle, and I do. I think that we're of the forgotten gen. We are, but I do think that we have this ability to to – to connect the two generations together, you're responsible are, are, for are it. Are you idea. saying
2: you're struggling with your identity? <laughs>
3: <laughs> now here's the, no. the really cool part. So you
2: covered the boomer and the millennial part, but here's the. So now you have Generation Z. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we really we refer to Generation Z as baby baby boomers.
3: Yeah. They mm-hmm. are
2: more like baby boomers yeah. than they are like the millennials yeah. or the
3: Gen X. Yeah, I got one that lives in my home. My 15 year old boy, he mm-hmm. is that, and he does. He behaves like boomers and he like I, I i joke with my wife and she agrees she, i'm like he's more of an adult than i am <laughs> so guys uh, let me ask you all a question
0: as coaches are you finding and in, in, are, are the, the the clients that you currently have right now picking up the phone or in in one of your sessions saying i think i got to start planning for <laughs> inevitably tomorrow. And can you, can you help me hear it a lot? Okay. You're you're hearing hearing a lot. So let's just spend a few minutes on, on, on what you're hearing, what you're saying.
1: When you're, when you're looking at succession, you've got to understand it's not, I'm going to sell my business next year. No, it takes four to seven years now to really put a proper plan together. Why? Because you've got to make sure your internal systems and processes are in place because that's what you're selling. You're not selling your hard assets, thinking you're gonna get rich. Your hard assets are going down in value. But your processes of how you make net profit. And you gotta realize, in the future, it's just not technicians are gonna be buying businesses business people are going to be buying businesses oh. and they are going to look at your numbers and your processes of how you make money because they're not going to buy a business to buy themselves a job right that's right i mean it's about being investable if this business
2: is not investable then it's not going to sell it, no, nobody's going to show up just to oh i think i wanted to have an auto repair shop so i can yeah. fix cars yeah. no that's not going to work <laughs> and uh you know one of the things that I see commonly is a conversation with a shop owner will be predicated with, oh, do you remember so-and-so? Yeah. Well, they closed their business. What do you mean closed their business? Well, they just, you know, sold all their equipment and locked the door, and that's it because it wasn't a good location. It wasn't a functioning business. I mean, it had no value. And so that's when it finally, you know, dawns on them that, well, I can't let that happen to me. And I'm like, yeah, now let's get to work.
4: Let's not. Uh, yeah, and that's yeah. a
0: great motivation. Unfortunately, that has to happen in order for a lot of people to get up and go. Yeah.
4: And and I think, you know, real, realistically, if somebody comes to me and I don't know anything about their business, somebody walks to me on the show floor and says, hey, I think I'm going to sell my business. I tell them you're going to work your butt off for five years at a minimum before you even have something that's marketable. Because in the meantime, they've done it for 40 years with no process and procedures. Mm-hmm. No accountability, no goals, no numbers, and certainly no profit because they haven't paid themselves. It astonishes me the number of people who walk up to me and go, I haven't had a paycheck in five years. Yeah. Or they were taking cash out of the business and yeah. can't prove they make money. Right. And they don't take a vacation and they don't take a vacation.
3: That's called stealing, by the way. That's a pet peeve of mine. Like I don't want to pay the government like we're stealing. So have a good day. Oh, by
0: the <laughs> way, we did it. We did a show on in insurance, Tunnel Academy last Friday. Yeah, it released cool. yesterday. And the insur- insurance agent came on and we were talking about business continuation, workman's comp and all that stuff, and he says and he brought it up. And
3: he, brought it up. he says, "You got to report your yeah. revenue." Here's the thing. Can you walk away? it's a question I'll ask. Like, can you walk away for 6 months? tomorrow. No notice, no nothing as an owner and your business still run for six months without you and it didn't hiccup. If you can say you can do that, you can sell your business. Yeah. If you can't, the question you have to ask is in, over the next three to five years or seven years, whatever you want, what must be true
4: about the time in between that will make that happen? It's not just selling your business. Okay. Because I experienced a catastrophic failure of my life. And I was in the hospital for six months. Wow! We gained clients because of the staff and Bill's one of them.
2: Because he was the, out of the way.
4: Well, that's, I'm, no. I'm okay with that. But the bottom line is we had things in place. And I talk about that. You know, Carm did an episode on it. Yes. About having things prepared. And if you can't not go to work for six months, you don't really have a business. You know, that's where you're fixing cars. Yeah. And it's not it's not selling it at the age that our average shop owner is the number of strokes and heart attacks. I mean this earlier when we were getting ready for this, we talked about somebody very close to all of us mm. who just had a quad triple five bypass. Right. And he owns a shop. This is reality. Forget selling it. How about surviving it?
3: Right. And and so
4: I, I want to like hit a pause button
3: because in the beginning of this podcast, we talked about experience learning from people like Malin just dropped a huge nugget right there. And I have never been through that. I've never had a catastrophic, anything health-related. There's a guy who just told you guys, experience, listen to him. Well,
4: and let me share something with you. There's a shop in Michigan, husband and wife. Husband, although he hasn't ended up in the hospital, but he lost some brain power they actually think he's developed stress epilepsy he's the technician she's in the office they can't pay their bills now because he's the shop and i'm working with her trying to keep her focused and move in the right direction but i want you to think about something that's not abnormal for our group where the husband is the main person the wife does the other things and maybe they have one or two technicians like this shop does, but he is the diagnostician. There is another reason why they should be at vision. So we don't have one person responsible for this shop. When I was in the hospital recovering, the reason I wrote the catastrophic failure of me is because at that time my wife came to me and said, you know, you were given a gift and it wasn't taken away from you and you better figure out what you're supposed to do with it. That generated several days of thought. And it was, I got to tell people how to prepare this business so that it survives them. There's no legacy in our business. People are closing, like you said, because they don't have any other direction to go. And whether it be my experience or any of the people here's experience, get out from somebody. Anything you do differently will make you better. And it's really, honestly, folks, it's not rocket science. Well, you know, Malin's story made me think of something.
2: And I hear this a lot from shops when you're looking at, the amount of work we're able to do and what we can produce and how we can serve customers and make sure that that customer experience is exceptional. And when we talk about needing to bring somebody in and, and honestly, a lot of businesses really need manpower. The reason customers don't have a good experience is because there aren't people there to do all the things that need to be done. And, and what happens a lot of times is a shop will say, Oh, I can't afford to do that. They're going to want to get paid a lot of money. And, Shops look at this completely wrong. It's never about what you're paying someone. It is always about the revenue that they will generate. Return on
1: investment. Return on investment. investment. The fact is, is the average shop is understaffed by three people. One in the base, one at the front counter, and one in the back office. You cannot maximize productivity of a shop when you're understaffed. That affects your bottom line dramatically. So competent people make a company money why do you not trust your hiring process mm. to hire competent people well, well, and, What hiring process and, Well, that's and, my exactly. <laughs> point there is no hiring, <laughs> there is no hiring process. actually
4: there is fog the mirror yeah, you're hired yeah yeah but yeah.
1: you know you look at bringing in competent people competent people are already working the question mm-hmm. is, is are they happy where they're working mm. so what is the culture of your place that's right and why are people not knocking on the door hey i've heard about you right here's the talent i bring to the table have you got any openings Here's the other side you of that. that. We, we
4: complain about customers who call us up and price shop us. But when an employee, a competent person walks through the door, what do we do? We price shop. Price shop. I can't afford to pay you that. That's good. Right? We, we our industry has made this about money. And that's a huge problem. That's another six-hour podcast. <laughs> but the bottom line is, is my philosophy is, I love the TV show, The Weakest Link. When the right person walks through my door, the weakest link is leaving. And that's a cold calloused business decision because everybody out there listening to this has one employee you should have fired, but we haven't. Here, here's here's the thing. Bill Haas, he said it early,
3: early in this conversation. And he talked about like a, an employee walks in, what systems and procedures do you have that, that you can hand them and say, this is how we do business. So the number one thing we talk about is an accountability chart, right? Right. And so you have this accountability chart. There should be three to seven roles listed in there. And they say, hey, this, and we'll just call it five. These are your five roles that you know, if you do these five main things every day, you're going to be successful here. Here is the one to three page process that shows you how to do your job at a high level. If you hire the right person who shares your core values, they get it, want it, and have the capacity to do it. You can merely let them do it. And so if you have a wrong person, or wrong seat, you, you get rid of them because immediately, even without a replacement. And here's why, because nature abhors a vacuum, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to, somebody's going to get sucked in there because necessity is the mother of invention. You have to sometimes create that necessity. And everything happens for a reason. And sometimes that reason is I'm an idiot, right? And so we just have to do it intentionally, create the necessity. It will be filled if we're intentional about it.
4: It, it, It's kind of funny in a ironic sense that I can't afford to pay this person, but I can afford the mistakes the wrong person makes. (laughs) And that's twice as expensive. You know, when you start thinking about comebacks, it cost you twice. It cost you what? It cost you to repair it, and then you didn't bill labor and parts for that hour. So a comeback that you think is an alternator costs you $400. But nobody tracks that. It goes kind of go back to the numbers. But we are so worried about what if I can't find somebody instead of saying I'm going to find the right person and become persistent about it, test and hire them properly. Put the right people in place.
1: you got to be looking oh. 365 days a year now. Yep. You right. don't go hiring when you need somebody. You're always looking for right. it's
4: people. It's just like you don't advertise when you're slow. Exactly. Right. You, Wait, you, you know, that warranty thing
2: is a really good point because most shops just ignore it completely. When you talk to a shop and say, you know, what kind of problems did you have last month? How many, how many cars came back that you had to redo the work? Oh, just a couple. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think it cost you? Up. Oh, yeah. Well, you know we had to do it. Yeah, I get that part. I know you had to do it. But then when you put them onto a warranty tracking report that every day they record any warranty, and we know how many hours were spent and what, we, what the cost of the parts were. And at the end of the month, you go, now let's look at our warranty tracking report. How many do you think we had? Oh, I think we did pretty good this one. Only a couple. And you go, well, there were 14. There were 21 working days in a month, and out of 21 days, you had 14 jobs that came back that had to be reworked. And by the way, this is what it cost you. And that's when you finally get their attention and they go, I guess there's some things we need to do different. Yeah, Yeah, now now you can start to evaluate what's really going on here. Is it? personnel is it a training issue is it a skill set is it a lack of knowledge is it a parts issue are you buying the wrong parts from the wrong supplier and all of a sudden you start to really fix some problems and
1: one of the costs that doesn't get added in is what was the cost to the damage of the relationship with the client absolutely that
4: you can't measure but you're absolutely right you know it's very interesting is we have a tracking report and I'll send it to Carmen. He could share it with anybody he wants to. And it talks about the actual cost of the warranty, but also the missed opportunity, what we didn't bill. But what was funny was I gave it to a shop owner and I said, I want you everything that comes back, whether it's a part failure, a technician failure, a no-go just doesn't leave the shop. You fill this out. He filled one of them out. And so I asked him, where's the rest of them? Cause you know, he had more than one warranty. he goes, it was just so darn depressing. I stopped doing it. And I said, if it's that bad, don't you think we should fix this? Yeah. yeah. I said, but before you didn't worry about it because you didn't have any knowledge. Now you need to figure out how to fix that. Because if one warranty made you depressed, what is the 30 over the last 60 days going to do to you?
3: Ignorance is not bliss. Oh, absolutely. Bliss. Ignorance is Death.
2: Hey, uh, what a way to, uh, and Bill, final comment? Final comment is you have to remember that if you don't confront it, you condone it. So all this stuff we talk about, whether it's the talent, whether it's warranty, whether it's education, these are problems out there that need to be solved. And if you don't confront them, you condone them. Go fix your business. Amen, brother. Well, you know, I have to tell you
0: something. Um, It was three years ago, 2017, episode 208, that Barry, Bill, and Bob were here in the studio. We did our first first coaches roundtable. I loved it. Thank you for coming back and and, and allowing our great friend, Malin Newton, (laughs) to come in and and be the fourth peg in the wheel. By the way, Malin was talking about uh, your experience. Uh, We did that. It was episode 140. If anyone wants to go back and listen to Malin's uh, When You Wrote That Seminar and it w- it was 140. But so thank you for uh, for Malin Newton being here from ESI, Barry Barrett from Business with Purpose, Bill Haas from Haas Consulting, and Bob Greenwood from the Automotive Aftermarket eLearning Center. Um, I said we were going to do this in 20 minutes, and we're like 50 in guys, and and I just couldn't hit. The stop button. Have you, you guys met were
1: us? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Talk about false expectations. <laughs> so, Delusional. So,
0: but, but everyone knows that I, I I live life with a purpose, and the reason that I said twenty is I knew it would go to fifty. <laughs> I couldn't
3: do a twenty-minute episode by myself. I could uh, I could say my name in twenty minutes. <laughs> no my good. my rant, yes. Carm had to cut it off. There's a new generation coming in. before oh, the man. one-year-old
0: uh, entrepreneur. Yeah, we're all That's showing great. we're all showing gra- uh, g- grandchild pictures. But but here's the There's thing. Not for, well, I understand that but, but here 's the deal guys please don 't discount the fact that we 're showing grandpa pictures that the the wisdom in this room is
4: really important, so thank you guys for being here here 's the thank most you. important thing is everybody in this room, carm included, cares about the industry, and that 's what makes this unique because there's a lot of people who are out here to make a dollar. Yeah. everybody in this room is here because they actually give a damn about the industry yeah. and we're not we 're not here for ego and To be perfectly honest with you, we're not here for money either. We're here because we want this to be a better industry. And that makes a difference.
0: We demonstrate the it teammates. every day. The, the team that's here training, the team that's here with their booth, the, the, the reaching out, the loves and the hugs. And by the way, one of the things that I wrote down that we didn't cover was the value of networking. That this, this, the, you know, you talk about lifting ships and learning from each other. The power of networking at each and every event is priceless. It, it truly is. Hey, guys, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Carl. You. Thank you. Thank you.